get ready for the Small Church Shepherds podcast. Small Church Shepherds exist to encourage, enrich, and equip small church pastors and churches. You can find our blog and more information about us at smallchurchshepherds.com. Hey, welcome back to Small Church Shepherds. I'm Jonathan. We got Dennis here with us, and James is back with us after his hiatus last week, um, talking about part two of how to cast a vision. Um, we talked conceptually about it last time, but we're going to get into the practicality of it this time. And now that we have James back, he can kind of correct us on all the errors that we've made in his absence. Um, and, and, you know, really correct our theology. So how are y'all doing? And who wants to kick us off today? No, it's, um, no, I'm excited to be back. I'm glad to be back. It's, uh, it's been a little while, but happy to jump back in the saddle and, uh, and keep, uh, keep rolling along with our podcast and getting back with you guys, especially. Man, I'm doing great. It's been a great day. I've had like 12 cups of coffee today, so I'm feeling nice and, and, and hyper and ready to go. <laughs> Percolating. I percolated all the percolations. Yep. I'm good. What about you, John? How are you today? Man, I am midweek of a VBS after a week of preparation. I'm running on fumes and Red Bulls, um, hey, but I'm here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm here. So, what is vision casting not? What, what are, what are, what are, if you think you're doing vision casting, but but this is just something we absolutely want to avoid? What were, what would be some things y'all say absolutely avoid when you're trying to vision cast? Well, one of the things is the word vision casting is is it's not a Christian term. It's really something that's used in the world. It's it's in the it's in the cultural vernacular. It's this idea of putting a vision. It's used in business. You know, putting a a purpose statement and a vision statement together. It's used in education. And so, what we need to be careful of is we do not um, allow our vision casting to be a worldly vision casting. It is more of a biblical vision casting where the Bible is informing what we're doing. It's not, let me copy a corporation. It's let me go to the word of God and allow it to inform my vision casting. Yeah. Well, we're not, we're not doing like a, there's an episode of Steve Harvey, uh, that I watched one time. And I cannot believe you're quoting Steve Harvey. I, I, I'm not quoting him, but the I'm talking Steve about Harvey something he show. did. <laughs> Let me tell you, Steve Harvey, he's the man. Uh, the man with the mustache. Um, that is right. But he did this episode where he brought in someone, and it was on how to do vision boards for your life. Oh, and yep. you were supposed to like do magazine cutouts and... The, all your goals and dreams just are on this board, and that's what you're trying to achieve. Uh, but that's not where what that's not where we're doing with vision casting. This is not hopes and dreams uh, based out of the ether that we are somehow wanting to uh, um, uh, achieve one day in our churches. These are bedrock biblical foundational truths that we are wanting to enact from the ground up in our churches. Right, and so that's just a difference there between secular vision. Visions uh, and and a biblical vision. Well, being in, uh, I say, the professional world of business that I'm in, and I'm over a, a department of sales, and 
you 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 have to create uh we use the word you're using the word vision but we have to create forecasts things of that nature purpose statements uh for our sales for our departments for our company as a whole um and the biggest difference between that and what we're speaking about biblically as y'all have all alluded to and hit on one is very man-centered it starts with you um and what you think is best where right. for your church god already has written in his scripture what his church is to be there, there's your vision um right. and now our job is to apply that how does that look in our different churches and that's your vision what does it look like to make disciples what does it look mm-hmm. like and so we start doing that vision uh, it starts with the bible doesn't start with man it starts with god and we are servants and stewards and we are putting that before the people and we're doing it. So vision casting biblically is just not man-centered. It doesn't start with us. Um, it's, it starts with the scriptures as you guys have already clearly articulated. All right. So anything else we want to hit on the do nots before we move into what do we actually do? Well, I, and we sort of already mentioned this in a previous podcast when we talked about pragmatism, but, but biblical vision casting is not at its core it doesn't start at pragmatism, what works. Mm-hmm. It begins at what's scriptural. And then the, the pragmatism comes out of that when you begin to apply it. So so I guess a, a simple way of putting it is it is it is biblical at its foundation, and the pragmatism helps you in the how do we get this, how do we do this, how do we how do we make it work? Because there are some pragmatic considerations. Well, here's some here's some examples of what I'm just I'm thinking ahead of what you're talking about is if you want to look at churches and you can tell by looking at these churches um, if they are biblically um, practical in their in their approach or if they are worldly pragmatic in their approach um, if you look at the mega church that has seven uh, satellite campuses but there's not an actual pasture at that campus and and it's all just video tubing in the one pasture and they got water slides into their baptistry and you know if you bring if you bring five visitors you get a t-shirt and uh, bring a hundred visitors you get a new car you know these these are the type of things that are so business attractional things that if we were just going to be 100% pragmatic and we were going to sit back and ask ourselves, all right, we got to make disciples. Uh, how can we get the absolute most people, um, biggest bang for our buck? All we'd have to do is throw a bunch of money at things, you know, right. make make official programs and, and, and fund people to run them. That's all we'd have to do if that's all we were trying to do. But we have to remind ourselves that when you are saying, I'm going to be practical, but my my motivation and my foundation is not going to be pragmatism. You have to be able to start off, and some of these steps we're going to move into for practical steps are actually really slow and long term. We're going to talk about preaching. We're going to talk about just loving on your on your church and communicating with your church members a biblical vision. We're going to talk about things like that. That if we were going on pure pragmatism, we you wouldn't do those. You know, if you did, they wouldn't be your primary steps. Um, but yeah, anyways, I kind of stole that from you. I'm sorry, but I mean, that's uh, fine. That's fine. But so let, let's start off. What are some, what are, you're at a church. Um, let's say this, we'll take Dennis's example and he is, he's at a new church. Um, what are you going to do? 
for the very first thing when you say, I'm going to start casting a vision at this new church that I just moved to as pastor? Well, not to repeat what we talked about last time, but the first thing I'm going to do is get to know my people and love all my people. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think I can lead them anywhere to any vision until I spend some time getting to know them, knowing their church, knowing where they're at. So I think foundationally you have to build those relationships. And I know we're we're pointing back to what we talked about. Um, But assuming that work's done, assuming that work's done, and let's say I'm here and in my first year is is sort of coming to a close, or or even if I'm in my first year and I see my church is ready to move forward in some areas, what I'm going to begin doing is from the pulpit preaching and sowing seeds uh, of, of sound biblical principles and preaching on these things, the Great Commission, the Great Commandment, um, before I ever sit down with the committee and begin to talk to them or update about it, I'm going to be preaching from the pulpit. This is what God's word says, thus saith the Lord, so that mm-hmm. they have a biblical foundation for it. Yeah, I, I, I would say that's that's the number one place to start. I mean, you read any any of these guys that we trust about what the local church is and what she should be, the first place always is it starts with the word. I mean, God, it's alive, it's mm-hmm. active, and we trust that. We have a theology of Scripture, so we trust that, that God uses that. And as Dennis said, as I— I'm going to invest in everybody. I want to build relationships. And, and I would say as you invest in people, start looking for people who find out who is in charge. Uh, titles are titles, but find out who's in charge at church, who, who really mm-hmm. is in charge. Yeah. And um, love them, build relationships with them, start discipling them, start putting this same idea of the Great Commission and biblical preaching and ecclesiology, start teaching them and shaping them, then they start doing that with others. And while you're in meetings, conversations at lunch, over coffee, you're talking about these things. And so you're Mm -hmm. preaching it from the pulpit. You're talking about it Monday through Friday. Well, guess what starts happening over time? Those things become, become natural conversations at church, at home, then all of a sudden when you as a pastor go to that deacons, go to that committee, and you bring up this change that's biblical, um, I'm not saying it'll be easy, but you've done a lot of the groundwork already to to open up and set the way for you to apply this and do this as a church. And I think something, uh, excuse me, Jonathan just said a while ago, the key word is just the patience. Yes. And that's what I struggle with personally. I struggle with that. I'm a a fixer. I see a problem. I see something needs to be done. I want to jump in the middle of it and like a bull in a china shop. But um but, but it's just the patience. It, it, it'll take you so far. Uh, I want to kind of jump in, and I want to use myself as an example here, not as a toot my own horn. I got it all figured out because, as I said last week, this is my first time to be at a church where I even have the prospect of being here long enough to to cast and implement a vision. Um, and August 1st will be my two-year anniversary here at uh, – Franklin Creek. And I was just talking with one of the deacons last night, one of the leaders in the church. And 
I don't know if he meant it as a compliment. He was just having a conversation, but I took it as a compliment. He talked about how in the two years there, because of how I preach and how I've led, there's been a change in the church. Before me, they had very topical, hellfire brimstone, emotional pleading type pastors. And he said, so, you know, it was very common on a Sunday morning to to see a lot of people down at the altar call, to, to, to have a lot of people, you know, weeping and crying and and stuff like that he said but you know since you've been here going on two years he said you know we hardly ever have anyone down at the altar at the end of the service he said but i believe that the holy spirit is working more in the lives of our people um and i and like i said not trying to toot my own horn here as much as i am trying to say that's just been two years I haven't tried to implement any programs. I haven't tried to make any major changes unless I've been forced to. That's just been two years of me trying to preach expositionally through books of the Bible and me trying to get to know these people and love them and care for them, you know? Um, And so that's vital. And, and, And I think one of the things that we're not saying, but we're saying is this, I think it's essential uh, one of the essential parts of leadership and, and causing change and making change that lasts is helping to lead people to change instead of pushing them to change. Yes. Uh, good example of this. Um, I, I've only been here two months, but in the two months that I've been at this church, it's very apparent that our children's ministry is very unhealthy. Um, I've been. Whoa, whoa, Dennis. That. I've been praying. You're going to put yourself in damn in in harm's way talking about issues at your church two months in. <laughs> I've been praying about it. My wife's been praying about it. And actually, during the deacons' meeting, one of the deacons said, "Our children's ministry is a mess." And so um, the blessing is that by praying about things, and when we talk about how do I implement change, not only do you want to preach about it, you want to pray about it. Mm-hmm. Because it's the Holy Spirit that's going to make that change. God led them to those issues. Um, God led them to that place. So so I'm already going to have the opportunity early on because God opened that door to help make some good substantive change early on in our children's program that's healthy. Yeah. Um, those are instances when you can make change early, when God opens that door and it's not you kicking a door open, it's you through conversations, through relationships, just being cognizant of that. But, but I think that's where we get back to the relationships, the prayer, and the preaching. I think those are the three keys to making change last at a church. It's good relationships, good strong prayer life, and, and, and solid biblical preaching is sort of the foundation for making that change. I think that's what you've got to do from the beginning. you got to be consistent in it. All right, I'm going to put James in the hot spot on this one. You're new to church. You've come in. You've invested time. Maybe it's been a year, two years, however long it's been. You've gotten to know your people. You've cared for them. You've been in their homes, in the hospital with them. You've been preaching biblically through the Bible. What's next? Um, keep doing what you've been doing. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's, you know, for me, how, how, how I work and how I've, I, I say been trained or how I think and, and, and Dennis knows a lot of my story. He's, he and I've served near each other several times and well, for a while at place. And, 
And um, Dennis mentioned the three P's. And to be honest, there's four P's I go by. He mentioned three of them. was personal discipleship, preaching, prayer, and patience. And I'm always the guy that my first couple years, I'm doing those things, um, the personal discipleship, all that. Then I start, then year one, year two, I start actually putting practical steps. Um, what, 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 I, I don't, I don't pick all four of them at the same time. Say there's four major changes that you see need to happen. They need to happen. Well, I start off with one. I mean, how do they relate to each other? Um, and what can I do with what's in front of me to start? I've already preaching personal discipleships, praying, maybe God, like with Dennis providentially opens up a door, step mm-hmm. through that door. I mean, go forward and use that as an opportunity. Don't ignore it. Use it patiently, kindly, because even being a new pastor, even though there's some things you can't touch, people are open to change, too, because they think it's a new, exciting thing. And so you can implement some pretty awesome changes at the very beginning, too. Yeah, um, They're going to give you a lot of grace, too, at the beginning. you got to just use wisdom on that. But what I would start doing is knowing your structure of your church how they make decisions, what what is the thing that you need know needs to change and start putting steps toward it. Is it I need to start training the deacons more about the what a biblical healthy church looks like as far as ecclesiology? All right, well I need to start teaching them what does it mean to be a deacon? What does it mean to have an elder? Or maybe whatever the change may be um, is to actually start taking small action steps. Um, you guys know this, you're wise enough, but I used to tell people just take it an inch at a time. And then when you turn around five years from now, you've traveled miles. You've Do traveled you, miles. So what, you don't even realize it. Are you saying, are you trying to say that there's more than one way to implement a vision at a church? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, not, there's, there's some, the pillars that we're talking about, but. <laughs> But you're going to have conversations. And then, they're, like he just said, then a deacon brings it up. Well, when that deacon brings it up, man, with all patience and long-suffering and kindness, talk about it. And say, mm-hmm. okay, here's some here's some thoughts biblically. I think this would help us. So how do we need to do that now? And so get, educate them, empower them, you know, those type of things. Let them take charge because the one thing I've learned that I love now when people think it's their idea, it gets done quickly. And, oh, yeah. and so and so that's where deacons all of a sudden are saying, you know what? Why why do we only have one pastor? You know, I literally started talking about elders. Or you know mm-hmm. what? We're being quasi elders. That's not our role. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, brother so and so, it's funny you should say that. You know, and they that conversation yeah. or hey, our children's ministry, how it's structured and stuff right now, it's unhealthy. Yeah. Yeah. That's when keep your main pillar strong and then be wise and your eyes open to opportunity advance the ball, so to speak. Well, let's take just a second to read an ad and then we'll come back to this. And now back to small church shepherds. So like with Dennis, he's had an opportunity to very quickly make a change in the children's ministry. You brought up potentially being able to make a change in um, the ecclesiology of the church and having healthier roles in leadership and service. Um, one of the things that I'm kind of walking into uh, is my first major opportunity that I'm finding here is in restoring a, a biblical church membership. Um right. 
you know, um, we're actually in the, that's the big thing. We're in a process right now. We've been talking about discipleship. We've been talking about accountability and church discipline. And one of the big practical walls that we have to knock down to get to all those other things is making sure that we have re- a, an actual regenerate active list of who is a real church member here, you know, redefining right. that, that stuff. Well, all right. So Dennis, I'm going to bring you this one to you next. You're at a place like me. So I'm, t- I'm coming to y'all as the less experienced pastor in the situation. I've been working on my church for two years there. I'm in, I'm at a place in real life here with them where I have most of my church members are coming to me with these conversations like I'm, I'm realizing now that we need to be making disciples. I've never been discipled. I'm trying to find someone to do that with me now. Or I, I realize we haven't been reaching our, our community like we should. I realize we haven't been filling the blank. But there is a disconnect still between this desire that God has stirred up in their hearts to want to do better and their ability and knowledge to actually put those desires into action. Where do you, Dennis, and maybe James wants to follow up, where do you try to capitalize on plugging those desires into action? Um, I think what you have to do, if if they're unsure, I think at that point, you have to be already thinking through the process before you get to that point. I mean, if you're if you're not thinking through um, where the church needs to be, then when those moments happen, you're going to be completely unprepared. As I tell people in my staff, I tell them all the time, I'm like, guys, um, you need to begin with where you want people to be. So you need to ask yourself the question, in six years of our ministry, what do we want people to be able to do? Yeah. Um, the youth ministry, but when you're getting ready to hand them off to the adult ministry, what should they know? What should they be doing? Um, how should they be doing it? If you're moving from the children's to the youth, what does the youth minister want them to know? And so beginning with that, you know, you need to be asking the question, what does a healthy deacons meeting look like? What is a healthy... What, what is the healthy leadership? Like James said, what's a healthy member leadership structure? Um, and so you need to know what the end looks like so that when they ask, what, what is a healthy children's ministry look like? What is it teaching them? You need to have those ideas in your head. So when they come to you and say, practically, how do we begin? You're already thinking through the steps to get there. Mm-hmm. And you need, to, you need to help them. And I want to say this, too. You need to help them make steps and not leaps. And that's a big thing I think where guys get in trouble is they want to do it all at one time. And, um, you know, there's an old, old saying that says, how do you eat an elephant? And the answer is one bite at a time. Mm-hmm. And I think you've got to think through those bites. What's the first bite? So if I'm, if, let's just take a, a healthy ecclesiology a healthy structure of leadership. The first step would be, like James said, helping them realize what, what deacons do and what elders do. Um, after that, um, help them think through having more staff and having even non-paid staff, non-paid elders. And why mm-hmm. that's, you know, raising them up in the church and how do we do that? How do we train people so whenever God reveals those people to us? And you need mm-hmm. to be going, you need to be doing these things yourself as a pastor before they ask so that you've modeled these things and then it becomes easier. If you're waiting for them to ask you, how do you train up leaders before you train up leaders, you're not going to be prepared to show them how to do that. James, you got anything you want to add to that? I mean, yeah, I mean, 
just to put, I guess, in a statement what Dennis was saying at the beginning, a vision without a plan is just a dream. That's all it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and that's where he, when, a, when a church member comes to you about something, brother, and I encourage those who are listening, you need, if you have a vision, but you don't know how to get there, you don't have a vision. It's not, yeah. it's not no. ready. So no. you, as you think about where the Bible wants you to be, that's where you got to step back and go, how do I get there? Because mm-hmm. as Dennis said, and Jonathan asked the question, they're going to come. Someone's going to come and ask, all right, what do we need to do about this? And then secondly, as he said right there at the end, do it with them. If they don't know how, educate mm-hmm. them, train them, and do it with them. Hey, come with me. Or, hey, let's sit down and go to this nine marks mm-hmm. little book on church membership. Or here's a gospel-centered youth ministry book that I've went through, and I'd like mm-hmm. for you to read chapters three, eight, and I mean seven and eight, you know, whatever it yeah. may be. I think, I think Dennis hit right, I mean, seriously, right on the head is you You have got to do it with them. you got to train them and you got to be ready yourself. you got to be prepared because it may happen sooner. We all have our mm-hmm. timelines. Like yep. Dennis probably had a timeline about things. He didn't expect month, expect month two to be in the middle. Hey, I got to, I got to jump on this children's ministry issue, but yep. it happened. And what? He was already thinking about it and he was ready for it. So you have to be prepared because you don't know you have a plan, as we know the scripture says, men have a lot of plans of many, but the Lord directs their steps. So you don't know you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. So just keep yourself prepared for those conversations. Keep sharp on them. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I mean, I agree with everything Dennis said 110%. I think it was right on around the nail. Do that. Take the time to prepare. I think that's great. You do need to be, uh, and I agree wholeheartedly, you need to have these steps in your in your head you have to be thinking it's almost like uh going into one of these presidential debates that are going on right now you almost have to anticipate what your opponents are going to throw at you you need to be anticipating what the lord is doing in the hearts of your people so that you know how to respond to them when they come to you um one practical thing that I found very useful, and it might be controversial to people who are listening to this. Give up one of your services where you are not preaching a Bible, but you are teaching doctrine and practice. I do this on Wednesday nights. We do a yeah. we do prayer meeting on Wednesday nights, and that takes up. Listen, we we pray for thirty minutes or so on Wednesday nights. And that leaves me 30 minutes to try to teach. I'm preaching out of the Bible Sunday morning and Sunday night. I have made the decision in my context that I would be a better use to my church to teach them doctrine um, on Wednesday nights. So we're going through a study. We're doing Mark Dever's book on discipling, his little nine marks blue book, you know, uh, before that, we went through how to pray, and we did J.I. Packer's book on the Lord's Prayer. Um, I mean, we, we're doing things like this on Wednesday nights. Functionally, our Wednesday nights are prayer meetings slash small group, um, even though I'm kind of leading it before the whole church, not just a small group. Um, but I have found that that has been a crucial trade-off um, in the lives of my people. You would think, no, I, especially if you're bivocational. Listen, if you're bivocational and you're, you might be thinking, man, I can't be with my people as much as, as a full-time pastor can be, and I only got these three services to try to cram as much Bible to them as possible. It, I would encourage you to try to take a Wednesday night or a Sunday night um, 
and, and, and use it more of a teaching time instead of just a preaching time. And I think you will reap benefits from that as a practical step towards working towards a vision. That's very Puritan of you. Puritans on <laughs> Sunday, seriously, Puritans on Sunday nights, uh, some would preach to the uh, larger catechism. They would use it. They yeah. preached it on Sunday nights. And so, um, yeah, yeah I, I'd agree 100% to do that. It's just part of that. That's actually that's actually a part of the vision and also a part of the plan of the vision, what Jonathan's doing, um, right. that where you can just continually teach sound doctrine on Wednesday nights and apply it. Mm-hmm. Um, you're, it, and that's part of the vision. You want to get there, you know, you want to get there, train your people. And that's also part of the plan, um, for yep. the larger vision. So I, I commend you on that. I think it's an excellent idea. I think it's a wonderful idea. Yeah. All right. So we're making changes. Um, we're, we're working on these steps. It's a slow process. We've already said we're practicing those pillars of patience and personal discipleship and biblical preaching um, and prayer. Um, all these things are going. People are starting to react. They're starting to feel prompted by the Holy Spirit to do things, and we're nudging them in the right direction, all right? Um, how do you know if you're moving people too fast? And how do you know if you're in the opposite problem where you're moving too slow? And maybe the Lord's wanting you to speed forward on some things. How do you how do you judge that? I mean, how is that even something you discern in your context? I, I think one way you discern that is by once again, I hate to be a broken record, but being in relationship with your people and listening. Um, one of the problems that we tend to have as as pastors is, and 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 I want to be careful here. Because I'm not saying you shouldn't study and you shouldn't be in your study. Is There's a danger, though, where we spend all of our time in our study and we don't spend any of the, our time with our people. Mm-hmm. And so we don't have our, 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 our hands on the pulse of our people. Mm-hmm. And, and so getting around your people, number one, it helps you. Um, know when you're going too fast. Number two, it can help you know when your people are ready to make that next step. People will surprise you. Even people who say, I don't like change, they can surprise you at how they can change if if they're told. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things I've discovered is the times I make changes and I don't do the hard work of, of talking to my people, explaining to my people, those changes almost always blow up in my face. But when I take the time to talk to my people, love on them and and pray with them, there's not a lot of changes you can't do if you'll take that time to build relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, a way that you can know that you're you're moving too fast is is by the way people respond in worship. Um, if you'll watch your people, you can see the temperature, you can feel the temperature of your church. And if you're moving too fast, you can feel that discomfort. And sometimes you just have to, this is when it comes back to prayer. Sometimes you have to push through the discomfort, but you need to be careful that you don't, that you're leading people through uncomfortable things and not pushing them through uncomfortable things, if that makes sense. There's a difference Mm -hmm. there. Leading is they're following you. You don't want to go so fast that when you turn around, nobody's following you. Yeah. Uh, pushing is dangerous. James, you got anything you want to add to that? Yeah. I mean, on the fast thing, as Dennis said, there, there's actually multiple signs about going too fast. Uh, yeah. Like he said, the responses. People will come tell you, I don't like it. I don't understand it. And I don't want to <laughs> yeah. do it. Well, number one, first off, 
know who it is, who's telling you this. Right. Um, and, and that's where we talked about the word patience because they people are at a spot not just because. There's been a process of why they're there where they're at. They're thinking, they're acting, everything. You've got to get in there, as he said, again, get your pulse on the people, help change their thinking, how the way they see things, believe things. And then as you start implementing changes, as he said, you'll hear conversations. People will come to you and say, well, brother so-and-so, I have a couple of people come to me. Well, hey, let's talk this out. There's mm-hmm. times I was pushing for things, and I realized people were coming to me, and it wasn't that they didn't like it. They just didn't understand it, and that was a red yeah. flag for me. It was a red flag and that I pulled back. I actually pulled back and kept preaching and teaching. A year and a half later, we tried again, and it went through smoothly, and everybody liked yeah. it, you know, that type of thing. And it was actually some changes to our membership. Yeah. Um, and so uh, that's one of the things to watch out for, as you said, the pulse of the people. And people will come to you. Um, but again, that's that we keep using that word. I know patience, but knowing your people, having patience, um, and that, but the, the too slow thing, um, let me say this, there's patience and then there's just laziness, um, um, and neglect and and neglect. Don't just earn a paycheck. Don't just, cause some of us are afraid of controversy. Uh, we don't like conflict. And let me say, if some people say they don't like it, that's why I said it depends who it is. Because sometimes mm-hmm. when you're doing good biblical things, it will not be easy. There will yeah. be some conflict. That's why it matters. But if you've done your due diligence, taught and preached, did all these things for several years, and they just mm-hmm. don't like it because it's different, yeah, well, that's when you have to push a little – I don't, I don't want to use the word push. I think Dennis did well with that. But yeah. you've got you've to be able to keep stepping forward and leading the people in that direction. Uh, but the too slow, I, I just – the signs of too slow simply is you've been there six, seven, eight years, and it's exactly <laughs> at the same place. Yeah. You have done – I'm not trying to be rude, but – I would say, are you pe- preaching expositionally? Because if you just got up there and preach expositionally, things will change. Yeah. Um, you know, so the, I would have a lot of questions about the too slow. You know, yeah. how are, are you discipling anybody? If you discipled one man, you start in year one. By year 10, there should be kind of some kind of change somewhere. Yeah. Uh, so that's where, for me, too slow is when you're avoiding all conflict, where you just want to keep the status quo. Yeah, that's that's when I'd say, all right, we need to reevaluate what what's going on um, yeah. here, because um, you always can't say, well, the church isn't ready. Well, mm-hmm. I mean that we could all say that for the next yeah. hundred years. Um, well, you know, and kind of to respond to both of y'all, I mean, you're right. Talking to your people is vital. If you're not in your people's homes, and let me tell you, you don't even have to go to your people to talk about how the church is doing. You go to your people's home to check on them, then they will tell you how the church is doing. <laughs> you know, like, oh, yeah. uh, they will bring it up because you're their pastor, and that's one of the very few things they can think to talk to you about is right. how the church is going. So it doesn't matter if they just got out of surgery and you're you're going in there just to pray with them real quick. They're going to tell you something about they don't like or love what's going on with the church. Dennis? And let me just say this real quick before we move off this. No change is going to go through without pain. Yeah. I mean, every change is painful. But going back to the Tony Robbins quote we we said last week, James, you missed my Tony Robbins quote. Oh, Um, mercy. Change only occurs when the pain of staying the same, when this pain of change is greater than the pain of staying the same. And so you got to understand there's going to be pain. 
you've just got to be willing sometimes to fight through the pain because it, it's going to be painful. Which brings me to another callback in that. When you're talking with people, one thing we say, if you're a feeling of going too fast is your people are telling you, I don't like it, I don't understand it. But one of the things we we kind of a callback to last episode, we talked about relational equity. We talked about those people in your church that without title or name, they are the leaders. They're the people who've been investing in that church's life. And then you know the people who are members, but they, as far as relational equity goes, they have none. They're on the fringes, all right? If the only people complaining and being noisy about changes and growth are your fringe people, but you're hearing good things from those people that have mountains of equity, keep going. You're not going too slow, okay? Um, You want to treat all of your church members equally, but it doesn't mean you have to value all of your church members' opinions equally. (laughs) You know, and that sounds kind of callous, but I think that it's very true when trying to gauge things in your ministry. Um, Another way I think to, and it kind of feeds out of listening to your church members, how is your vision being discussed in the church? And we talked about this last week. You don't want it to be the pastor's vision or the pastor's plan. You want it to be our plan, our visit. This is what our church is doing. The moment that it stops being our church, our vision, and it's this thing the pastor's trying to do, you're going too fast. You're doing it wrong. Um, But I just wanted to expand on that with y'all. so you're making these changes, but you come into a new church. You're you're trying not to go too fast. You're making sure you're not just sitting around being lazy um, to go too slow. How do you make big changes in a church without sacrificing the good that's already there? Because I feel like the tendency in a lot of people is they come into a church and there's problems and 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 they feel like, man, we just need to wipe the slate clean and restart. But but what if there's some good in that church that you really want to foster and pull along with you? How do you do that? I want to quote a book, a leadership book. It's a secular book, but uh, good is the enemy of great. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, so uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, practically speaking, if we want to speak it that way, is is I would evaluate what we mean by good in that area of change. Is it is it just good enough? Are we just going through the motions? Is it even biblical? Is it being done biblically? Even though it may seem that like it's working, does it mean it's biblical? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, questions like that to evaluate what we mean by that, and then again, train and educate the people to say, hey, I know this looks good, but here's some issues with it, and here's what the Bible calls us to do that would be not necessarily an easier way, but a better way uh, that we can glorify God in that, and, and, and like all that we've talked about, all that in place, uh, you can start. You can start making some good. You don't. You, you know, you're not dismissing what's been done in the past. I mean, we've said those things. We thank God for people in the past and their mm-hmm. faithfulness and their love and the blood, sweat, and tears. And now our job is to take what they have done, continue to reform it, and make it better to the glory of God. Mm-hmm. Um, as you can tell, I've, I've said that before. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, yeah. But, well, it, but, it, uh, it, and that's our responsibility. And and. You'll, again, the equity that you talked about that you've yeah. built, you cash in on it, man. You don't build equity not to cash in on it. So yeah, right. um, you, you, you cash in on that thing, you know, lay all the chips down and say, hey, you know, th- we're not sacrificing what they've done. We actually, they've helped us to get to this point. Our job is for the next generation, for them to be at a better point when they're starting off working on what we've done. 
Well, it's kind of to parrot your thought. I don't know where this quote originates, but I've heard it many times from different places that if Satan can't make you bad, he'll keep you good to keep you from being best. You know, like um, and, and sometimes it is something that on the surface, like James said, it might seem good, but is it the best thing that God wants you to do? Is it is it the most efficient thing that God wants you to do? You know, um, and you have to work through that. What about you, Dennis? You got any thoughts about about changing without sacrificing? Um, yeah, I mean, the first thing I want to say is this: any change, and I hate to be a broken record, is going to call call for some sacrifice. The question is, what are you sacrificing and how much are you willing to sacrifice? And you're going to have to sacrifice some things. You've got to be willing in the midst of change to to sacrifice sometimes some people. Some relationships are going to be sacrificed. Um, You're going to have to be willing to allow um, some of that equity you've built up to be sacrificed. But at the end of the day, you have to, you have to, as as the Bible says, you have to count the costs, and you have to ask yourselves, um, what am I willing to sacrifice, and what what's an acceptable sacrifice? Mm-hmm. And, and what that means is, you may lose a family when you say we're going to reform our role. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, I was just talking to somebody the other day who said they had a family leave because they took their children off the role because their children hadn't been to church in twenty years, and, and yeah. they man left. Yeah. And um, he and he said, you know, at the end of the day, it was more important for us to be biblical than that. And, and so we did that. And, and that yeah. was a, a that was a sacrifice worth making. Yeah. Um, and so how do you do it without sacrificing the good? I think you have to go. You have to go fast enough that the change happens, but slow enough that you're not burning all of your bridges and, you know, be patient, be be wise as serpents and, and gentle as doves. James? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. You know, it, like you said, all change comes with sacrifice. They just got to know you have to show them that the change result is better than where they're at right now. Right. And then, then they'll be ready to pay a cost for that stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. For those changes, not always. You're, you're gonna you're gonna lose some, and but again, you you've built relationships, and if you love them and they love you, they 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 should be mature enough in Christ, hopefully, or or close enough in relationship to hear you out. This is why yeah. this change needs to happen, because the yeah. greater issue is not that we're taking your children off the road. The greater issue is why they haven't been but in a church for 22 years and yet they call themselves <laughs> Christians. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, that's the conversation needs to be had is you're worried about their name on a roll. I'm worried about their name on a heavenly roll to get all the uh, old school Southern Baptists when the roll yeah. called up yonder. But anyway, but, um, but yeah, I mean, and it may be, and, and here's a good thing too, controversy and conflict. It does open the door to quote Spurgeon. It is an opportunity for conversation and growth that normally doesn't take place. Exactly. Um, and so we ask the Lord to redeem those things, to help us in those things. And, and again, I know we've talked about this stuff practically, but we all know this at the end of the day, but just to encourage ministers, the Holy Spirit can do so much in five minutes or in a week than what you can do in a decade by yourself. Exactly. Um, and, and so take these practical steps, but knowing it's God's grace that opens these doors. If controversy arises, trust the Lord in that controversy is a moment for teaching and, 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 and correction. I mean, just it's his bride. It's his it's his bride, it's his church, mm-hmm. and you're a steward. So lovingly, patiently, 
courageously, I, I like to add that, do the hard work and you will mm-hmm. see growth. You'll see maturity. Uh, as Jonathan's already alluded to, in two years of being there, just good preaching and, and, and good discipleship and loving people, uh, the people are maturing and growing. Um, and, and, and God has done so much with that. And that's why I encourage even as a bivocational minister or small church minister, whatever, is you may not see the fruit today, but man, you're sowing seed and you're watering mm-hmm. it. And it, yeah, it's hard, but man, God's going to just be so, so much production of fruit out of that. And I truly believe it. I've seen it. But most of all, the reason I believe it's not because I've seen it, but because the scriptures call us to that. And so um, just to just to encourage you is, 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 yes, get that vision, get that vision, get that plan together, do the hard work. And then all of a sudden you're going to start seeing some sprouts, stuff yeah. sprouting from the ground, from even what you thought was hard soil, stuff starts yeah. growing. You yeah. know, that deacon yeah. you thought was always disagreeable. All of a sudden, he starts becoming agreeable yeah. um, because yeah. he res- he respect he's seen your life mm-hmm. and your testimony, and he starts respecting it. So so I, I would encourage any minister listening. You know, I'm only 37 years old, but but those, those little things, the older I get and the more I do this, those simple things have become such strengths in yeah. my life and hopes and anchors and pillars, whatever analogy you want to use or metaphor yeah. uh, for me. But anyway, I didn't want to get preachy. I just want no, to encourage fine. everybody with that. Well, that, I think that is encouraging. So that brings me, we're kind of running long on this episode, but let's do this. Uh, I'll start us off. Let's go around and everyone give one final thought, uh, whether it's an encouragement, whether it's advice about hardship, whatever you want to do, something with vision casting. Uh, give give one final thought, and then I'm going to ask after we've done this, Dennis, after you've given your final thought, take us out at the and, and, and bring us to an end. So my final thought is, is on dealing with conflict in your church. What to do when you, you know, we talked about people with personal equity built up. What if that person that has the mountain of equity is against a very biblical change in your church? Um, I, I would quote Brian Croft on this and, uh, and say that sometimes you have to outlive people to see change happen. Um, <laughs> um, I, I have- yeah, heard, go ahead. I, I heard a minister that I was on staff with look at an elderly person who was very, very difficult. And she said, that would never happen while I'm here. And he said, and he just said, well, Miss So-and-so, and he used her name. Mm-hmm. He said, I just want you to know, I'm going to outlive you. And that's yeah. what he said to her. And behind, yeah. this was in a private meeting. I'm not going to say names. But, yeah. but I sat there as a young staff member, a minister, went, all right. All right. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. but but you're and right. You might, I mean, you might not have both. to be. You might have to be that forward. You might not have to. Sometimes yeah. <laughs> that. Sometimes that patience, though, it, it will require. You know, knowing that that old lady or that old man, that man, he he might not care about biblical discipleship for the life of him. But every person in that church is going to listen if he says jump. They're going to say how high. Yeah. Sometimes right. you just yeah. got to wait until they're gone, and yeah. and and be be encouraged during that time that. Just because you can't move forward on one aspect of a vision does not mean you cannot be moving forward on other aspects. Don't use yeah. one don't use one crumb judging or however you say that word that's opposed to one particular thing you're trying to do as an excuse to not be doing other things to try to move your church forward. All right, yes. James. No, I, uh, 
Jonathan, that was good. That's right. Don't don't let one one thing stop you from moving forward. Um, I know we've all said this before, but my encouragement to you is with your vision, have a plan, start putting the plan in process, and just be patient. It may seem like simple advice. It's going to save you a lot of heartache. You're going to gain a lot of ground. You're going to win a lot of victories by just planting that seed, do some watering, do the hard work, and see what God does with your faithfulness with your people. Um, yeah, and for me, I, I just want to mirror what both of y'all said. I think um, for me, uh, the key is, Pastor, um, be doing the, the hard work of thinking through these things. I know that's hard because we've got so much going on, especially if you're a bivocational minister. But take the time to think through these things and have your plan ready. Um, you can, you will be surprised if, you're, if your vision is biblical how much of your vision will come from the mouths of your people if you're preaching well and you're being faithful because God will work that out and, 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 and just be faithful. Do it. I mean, I hate to just be, you know, I'm not quoting Nike, but just do it, guys. I mean, quit, quit making excuses for why we're not doing things. Quit, quit blaming others for our failures and do what God's called us to do because um, yeah, I mean, there are going to be times when you fall on your face, but just keep, you know, to, uh, I will quote somebody else. I probably shouldn't quote today as I'm, I'm going for the trifecta in the, uh, in the, um, in the words of Chumbawamba, when you get knocked down, you get back up again because yeah. nobody going to keep you down. I thought that was, ro- I thought that, I thought that was Rocky. No, that was Chumbawamba. That's Chumbawamba. And I get up again. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Hey, I, I prefer, I think that, I I think prefer them song, over the other guy you quoted. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that that's, that's going to be the song that ends the podcast today. That is correct. <laughs> we need to have some chumbawamba up in this place. Yeah. So, um, but guys, we want to thank you today for joining us for Small Church Shepherds. On behalf of Jonathan and James, I want to thank you for just taking the time to listen to us. I want to invite you to be a part of all that we're doing through our uh, both our podcast ministry, but also our blogs at smallchurchshepherd.com, our Facebook, Small Church Shepherds, um, find us at Small Church Shepherds, and also our Twitter, Shepherd Small. Um, we are so thankful for you being part of this ministry. Um, continue to pray for us as we try to grow and build this ministry and pray that God would use us as we seek to follow Him. Um, Please remember that small church shepherds exist to encourage, equip, and enrich small church pastors. We look forward to talking to you next week once again. God bless and have a great day.